I do very much count it a privilege and honor, but not just that, also a very weighty thing to declare, thus saith the Lord. Because ultimately, when you step into a pulpit, that's what you're doing. You're stepping in and you are saying, thus saith the Lord. I'm always excited to do that. I'm excited about this morning. Uh, we get to do a baptism. So uh, just to give you a little uh, layout of the order of service, when altar time comes, don't run out of the church. Stick around. I know some, some people that, you know, that when altar time comes, they get a little antsy. Even if you get antsy, just stick around uh, because we're going to do a baptism. That's going to kind of be the... Uh, the second highlight of the service, I believe the first highlight is just worshiping in music and word and prayer and offering and all of those things. But uh, to do a baptism is such a very special thing. Uh, it's one of those things that I earnestly believe, you know, we're all going to see the king. Uh, I've preached that every one of us in here will stand before Jesus Christ. And he's going to tell us one of two things, either enter in, thou good and faithful servant, or depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. He's going to declare to us one of two things. So we're all going to see him, but I want to see him in here, enter in into the joys of your Lord. That's what I want to hear. And part of, I believe, hearing that is following what Jesus has set for us as an example. And I don't think we place enough emphasis on it, and that is water baptism. But now I'm still also going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning a little bit because I told you I'm preaching the Holy Spirit until Pentecost Sunday. Y'all will be tired of me preaching about the Holy Spirit by then. And then I might continue it, but I'm definitely preaching it through June 5th. Now this morning, uh, actually before I get started, let me remind you of one thing. Next week we're not having service here on Wednesday. We are on Sunday, but not on Wednesday. So this week is normal. We're having service this morning, we're having service tonight, we're having service Wednesday, we're having service Sunday, Sunday morning and Sunday night. But starting Monday night, the 28th, we're going to support Crawley. They, uh, they have a revival going on with Evangelist Janice Hill. We've had her here uh, last year. She's a remarkable communicator of the gospel, uh, just a fantastic preacher. And uh, she will be preaching uh, over their revival starting Sunday, but we'll join them on Monday. The 28th, 29th, and the 30th is a Wednesday. We are not having church here. If you show up, ain't nobody going to be here. Sorry for your luck. Let's go to John chapter 1 this morning, verses 29 through 34. And as you find that, if you would stand or if you want to read off of the screen, that's fine also. But I do like to stand to honor the word of the Lord. And to all of our guests, as you're finding that, welcome this morning. And to some of our uh, Familiar faces that haven't been able to be with us for a while, welcome back. I'm glad to have everyone here this morning. It's going to be a great time in the Lord. So the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not. But that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, 
and it abode upon him. I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Heavenly Father, this morning, first I thank you. God, for your power, for your presence, that there is still a way of reconciliation unto the Father through the blood of the Son. Lord, I thank you for the power and presence of the Holy Ghost that was promised and still remains with us. Lord, this morning I simply pray that your word would go forth and touch hearts. And God, that what we do in this house would glorify and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to move a little bit methodical, I guess, um, through water baptism because I think we do need to have a good understanding of it and I don't believe that uh, we focus on it enough particularly as a Pentecostal denomination it seems like our focus often lies somewhere else in other words it often lies on uh, the spirit baptism and not water baptism and and I have to be honest I think that we are a, a little bit wrong in our thinking in that now don't get me wrong I believe every person in here if you are saved and and you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior you should also be seeking for the baptism of the Holy Ghost I've preached that time and again and I'm preaching it again tonight but I also believe that every person in here, if you have been saved, if you had submitted your life to Jesus Christ, then you also need to follow in his footsteps and do not only what he has shown, but also what he has commanded. Now, we can see throughout the New Testament that every time that there is a baptism, that it is in response to salvation. You see, salvation always comes first, but then there should be a baptism that follows it. It's never an, a, an act of initiation into a church or to a community or even into a body of believers, but rather what it is is an, a, a public proclamation that you are in Jesus Christ. You know, you can get saved anywhere. I'm a firm believer that you can uh, submit your life to Christ riding down the road in your vehicle. You can submit your your life to Christ in your bathtub at home. You can confess Jesus as Savior from anywhere in the world. But there, you cannot do that with baptism. It is a very public proclamation that you have died to self and you are now risen a new creature in Jesus Christ. It's something that you have to get off of your pew for. It's something that you have to come in to a group of believers for. And as I baptize, you also have to publicly profess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. It's a very public thing. And we see in Romans and also Colossians, Paul wrote a little bit about what this baptism is about. In Romans 6, 1 through 4, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, I could probably just take off right there preaching for a little while because for some reason we've got this hyper grace, this charismatic believing that goes on in the world today. We've got some kind of doctrines that would lead us to believe that once you submit your life to Christ, that you can continue to do whatever it is you want to do 
and everything is okay. And, and Paul is suggesting that here. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin and still be under the grace of God? How he follows that up is he says, God forbid. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You cannot be both dead to sin and alive in the world at the same time. If you are dead to the sin, you also must be dead to the world. If you are alive in Christ Jesus, then you must be dead to everything else. You must be alive and vibrant in the church. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We, we could go on and on. But there is the point that Paul is saying that we can't continue in sin, that we should live as we're supposed to. He goes on in verse 3 to say, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in a newness of life. In other words, when you come forward and you step into the baptistry or into the river or a bathtub or wherever you're doing a baptism in front of someone, what you are doing is you are proclaiming to everyone that you are dying to your old self and you are being brought up out of the water. You are being resurrected, a new creature in Christ. You are going to walk different than how you walked before you came to that point. You're going to act different when you walk away. There should be something recognizable about you going forward that says that you are marked by the Holy Spirit, that you belong to God the Father, that the blood of Jesus Christ the Son has covered you and has carried your sins far away. That's what his death was for. When you were being baptized into his death, it was on the cross that by his stripes, by his blood, that your sins were carried away and that you are justified before God the Father, that you have that right and legal standing to hear, enter in, thou good and faithful servant, come into the joys of the Lord. Paul also talks about it in Colossians 2.12. He says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein you also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. You see, baptism is an act of obedience. I can bring you up here to this water and I can put you under and I can hold you until the next to the last bubble. But if you go down a center, you're coming up a center. If I put you down and you don't believe in Christ, that water is not going to change you when you come back up. That water does not have the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that shall set you free, that shall wash away your sins. But it is that water that is symbolic of you dying under that blood and coming up a new creation. It's not salvation, but. If you love God and you wish to be obedient and follow what he has asked of you, then you absolutely will be baptized in water. Now, I know that there are different orders and different ways of doing things, and we try to make arguments. Uh, for example, the man on the cross beside of Jesus, he had not the opportunity to be baptized. But yet Jesus looked at him and told him, This day you will be with me in paradise. 
Now, I believe that that does show that there are opportunities for you to be in the gates of heaven without being baptized. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But time and again, uh, importance was placed on baptism in the scripture. I think Cornelius and those that were with him in Acts chapter 10 is one of the premier places we should look to understand that baptism in water is equally important with submitting your life to Christ and baptism in the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Because Peter had to go to Cornelius and Peter was there and he was preaching to Cornelius and those that he had brought with him. I would assume that to mean his friends and his family and those in his household. And as Peter preached to them, they submitted their life to Jesus Christ. And as they did that, the Holy Spirit also fell and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Then Peter had to turn around at the end of Acts 10. He says, seeing that these men have submitted to Christ, seeing that these men have already been baptized in the Holy Spirit, who is to constrain us or who is to keep us from taking them and now also baptize them in water. It is that important that even if you are baptized in the Holy Ghost, you still need to be baptized in water. Don't neglect one. I'm reminded of what Jesus said when uh, the, the Pharisees were coming and they were tithing on mint and dill and all of their herbs. And he says that you should have done also without neglecting the weightier matters of the law or the other matters. In other words, we can run and shout and sing and worship and do all of these things that we know to do and that we love to do. We can speak in tongues every time we walk into the church. But if we have neglected the doctrine that Jesus Christ set forth to be baptized in water, we are wrong. Let me get try to get to the text here. You know, it would seem even in the text that both the, the baptism and the resting of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus were both signs. And really, that's a lot of what baptism is for us. Now, if you submit your life to Christ, people should already see a change in you. There should begin a work in you when you get up from the altar that people recognize something different. It's much the same way when... You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're marked, you're sealed, you're indwelt with the Spirit when you were saved. But there is a difference with the baptism or the infilling of the Spirit that is an outpouring and overflowing. It should make you different. But the same with baptism. Even in water baptism, there was something special that happened. Even with Jesus, the Son of God, the one who always was and is and will be, who was and is and is to come who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even in water baptism, there was something special that happened with Jesus. You know, even Jesus himself commanded us to go teach others, but he also commanded us to baptize them in water. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It's the Great Commission. So while I, I, I will say that baptism isn't necessary for salvation, it is absolutely necessary for obedience. But let me get to this text. John chapter 1, and y'all can follow along if you want, 29 through 34. I love that first verse, and I might not get past it to be real honest. The next day, 
John seen Jesus coming to him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Now we could pick, nitpick, and tear apart, but I believe John is sitting down and writing this after the fact. John has conveyed this story. John the Baptist has conveyed this story to John the Apostle after the fact. Because in the text, John says, I didn't know him. But So he's coming back after the fact and he's recounting this story to the Apostle John and he's saying that I seen this man coming and I didn't know him at the time but now I know that this was the Lamb of God. And I love that particular title. Now we see other places Jesus is called the Son of God. We see some places that he's called the Son of Man. We hear him called the Messiah. Matter of fact, the word Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is simply Jesus, the anointed one. It's a title. We see all kinds of titles for Jesus. Even in this particular passage, verse 34, as I read to you, it was by this that I knew he was the Son of God, that this one was the Son of God. But you know, there's, there's something about Lamb of God that we just simply cannot duplicate or replicate. You see, a son of God can be many different people. If you're sitting in this church this morning and you believe in Jesus Christ, you have accepted Him as Savior, you are a son or daughter of God. It is that simple. Why? Because we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are sons and daughters by adoption into the kingdom of God. So every one of us in here could look and say, if we follow Jesus Christ, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. Jesus can also claim that same title. Now, by the same token, we are also all son of man. That's another title that we see used for Jesus. There is not a person sitting in here that was not born of flesh. Every one of us in here is a child of a mother and a father. Now, we may not know them both. We may not know either one. We may have grew up having a happy home. We may be adopted. None of that really matters because ultimately we are all still born of flesh. In other words, everyone in here is a son or daughter of man. You see, we can't, we can duplicate or replicate that. In some sense, we're all son of God. In some sense, we're all son of man. But there is something special about Lamb of God. There is not a one of us in here that can proclaim to be the Lamb of God. You see, the Lamb was something special. And when John sitting down and sees a Lamb coming, he knew that there was a new day dawning, that things were not going to be the same as they had been for the last 400 years. He knew that he was sent with a purpose to make straight the, the crooked paths and to make a plane out of the mountains to proclaim that there was something better coming and finally he seen it walking towards him and he didn't give him a title that could be replicated when he seen him why because he knew that there was only one lamb that could wash away the sins he knew there was only one lamb that would be worthy of going onto an altar that would be able to ascend into heaven and put their blood on the altar and that it would run fresh for as a sacrifice for all time that would be 
able to stand at the right hand of the Father in heaven making intercession for you and I. That would be able to look at God the Father and say, He loves me and I need Him reconciled unto you. There was only one that could come and carry my hurts away. There was only one that could come and heal my broken body. There's only one that ever walked the face of the earth that can look and say, Your sins be forgiven. And John recognized it and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that take away the sin of the world. You see, he seen that there was finally real hope. For some thousands of years, and we know Malachi was written about 400 years before Jesus came. He was the last voice. They had went through 400 years of what they would have probably considered empty hope by the, near the end of it. They had heard all of the stories. They had read the scripture. They had been in synagogue or temple time after time after time. And they were simply waiting for someone to come and save the Jews from the oppression that they were under. Now what they were looking for was someone to save them from the physical occupation and oppression. But what they really needed was someone to save them from their mental and spiritual oppression. We're in the same situation today in our world. We, we are constantly looking for someone to take away from us the outside influences and forces that are holding us back, that are making us depressed, that are pushing us into places we don't like to go. We are constantly looking for something to fill us up and make us feel happy. We're looking for someone to take away the financial burden, the medical burden, the burdens of war, the burdens of all of these things going on in the world but the problem is is that's not what we need to be looking for you can get into everything in the world and you're still at the end of the day going to be empty at the end of the day you're still going to be depressed you're still going to be oppressed you're still going to be hurting you're still going to have to hear at the end of the day if you die depart from me you workers of iniquity I never knew you but if you will start focusing your eyes upon Jesus Christ in other words if you will understand that what what needs to be fixed in you is not that which is going on outside, but that which is going on inside. If you will look and you will understand, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world is in this house this morning, then you can be saved and you can be set free. The bruises can be wiped away. By His stripes you are healed. Spiritually, mentally. You don't have to live like you have been living. You see, there was only one that could stand in the throne room of heaven over in Revelation chapter 5. You see, John over there, John the Apostle says, I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. You see, John the Baptist, back in this text, seen something unique coming. He's seen the only begotten. He's seen something that could not be replicated. 
He's seen something that could do something that no one else in the world had ever been able to accomplish. The priest, you would have to go up every year for the Day of Atonement. You would have to go continually to make peace offerings and sin offerings and sacrifices. You would have to continually go to the temple and rely on a fallen man to go in and make sacrifice for you. But now all of a sudden John the Baptist is standing in the river Jordan and he looks up and here comes someone that will take away the need for the sacrifices. That will take away the need for fallen man to intervene for fallen man. Someone that has the direct ear of God the Father and will make intercession for you and I anytime that we want. Someone that will go to the cross and see the veil of the temple rent from top to bottom. That's why in Hebrews it tells us that now we can come boldly before the throne of grace so that we can find mercy and grace in such a time as we need it. Had it not been for the Lamb of God, all of us are sons, all of us are daughters, all of us are sons and daughters of man, but had it not been for the Lamb of God, we would have never been able to be reconciled unto the Father. John seen something new and unique in Jesus, and only he can lay the claim to Lamb of God. Now you can read on through the text, but even in verse 30, there is so much wrapped up in one little simple statement. It said, this is he of whom I said, after me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. In a time and an age when the firstborn had all of the Rights In an age and time where age really uh, did equate, at least in the minds of the people, to wisdom and knowledge. And that whoever was set forth first would be it until they died. You see, John the Baptist was about three months older than Jesus. They were cousins. John should have been, John was even set forth from the Old Testament that he would be the one out in the wilderness proclaiming what was to come. So by everything that society said, John should have been first. John should have been the one. And yet he looked at Jesus and he said, I'm not first. I'm not the one. I'm not the one that can help you. I can only do so much for you. But this one coming here, he's got something special about him. This one coming here is not only just carrying the ability to change your life. This Jesus that is coming has the ability to change the course of history and shake the foundation of the world. He was before the world ever was. He is before I was ever a thought. Not only is he preferred before me, but he was. You're looking through your physical eyes and you're seeing that I'm three months older and that I'm the one that was spoken of in the Old Testament, but what you're not seeing in the spiritual is Jesus is the one that wrote the Old Testament. He's the one that was before I was ever a thought. Jesus is the one that said that there is going to come one to proclaim my way when I come to take away the sin of the world. Therefore, he is before me. Now, we have to do the same thing. We don't like to lay down our life. We want to do things our way. We want to do things at our own pace. We like to read our own lives into the context of the Bible. We like to think that because this happened then I don't have to do this. Or because mommy and daddy did this to me it's okay. Jesus will understand. Jesus understands one thing. He said I'm holy. Be ye 
holy. He needs you to repent. Holiness is still a way of life. He needs you to follow what He set forth. If you don't submit your life to Him, if you don't walk the way He would have you to walk, if you don't be baptized. Here, He was baptized. He tells us to go baptize. If you don't go teach, you can go through a list of what you must do, but ultimately He boils it all down to two things. Love God. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can do everything in the world, but if you don't follow God and do those two things, you're not getting into heaven. Period. You see, he recognized not just the Lamb of God coming towards him, but when he seen Jesus coming, he seen the Alpha and the Omega. He seen the beginning and the end. John wasn't just looking at one single baptism that was going to occur. He was looking all the way back in time before the Holy Spirit even hovered up over the depths of the earth. He was looking back in time before the first man was ever formed out of the dust of the ground with the Spirit breathed into him. He was looking back at the Alpha, the beginning. He was also looking ahead in time. Not just to when Jesus would hang on a cross and make a sacrifice and atonement for mankind where we can be reconciled unto God the Father. He was looking all the way to the very end. Not when Jesus would come back to take his church out of the world, but when Jesus would come back and set up reign for a thousand years on earth. And then, I believe what he was really looking to is when heaven and earth are wiped away and there's a new heaven and a new earth. And there's no need for light in that city because the sun is the light thereof. He was looking at the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega. He was looking at the author and finisher of our faith, but he also seen the chief cornerstone upon which everything we are and everything we do must be built. Why? Because that chief cornerstone is our Savior. He is our sanctifier. He is our spirit baptizer. He is our healer, and he is also our soon coming king. But even as being all of these things to every person for all generations, you know what Jesus did? He still went and went into the water. Think about that. John saw all of this coming, and yet Jesus still walked down into the water to be baptized. But once he completed that obedient Step immediately, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Now, I know there's some that would try to push belief that, you know, at, at salvation, you have to be baptized immediately, and you're also immediately baptized in the Spirit. And if you don't have one, you don't have any. That's nonsense. That's not biblical. But what is biblical is being obedient. What is biblical is it should mark you as being different, set apart, separate. You see, when you read this text, John said that that's the reason he came. He that sent me, God, sent me to baptize with water for the express purpose of announcing Jesus Christ to the world.
I knew him not, verse 31 says, but that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore am I come baptizing with water. It was a mark, a symbol, that this is the one. Just like when he saw the Holy Spirit descending upon him, and not just descending, but also resting upon him, was a symbol to the world. Baptism is a symbol to the world that you believe in Jesus Christ. When you get saved, you should be sealed with the Spirit, as I read the Scripture. Nothing to do with talking in tongues, nothing to do with Pentecost. Universal, across the board, I don't care what denomination you are or what you believe, the Bible says you are sealed with the Spirit when you're saved. You can't be saved without the Spirit drawing you in. But it's also the Spirit that should lead you to want to be baptized. Let me try to bring this bring us home so we can get to baptism you know you don't have to be baptized in water to be baptized in the spirit you don't even have to be baptized in water to be saved we've established that but it's really and it's really really rare that something other than that happens that you are saved and then you're baptized there's this process and steps of growth that you go through in learning to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And through your continual obedience and through your continual working to be like Jesus, then through that obedience, then more opportunities come as you reach better and better submission. Water baptism is just a step. In that obedience. It's a public proclamation of dying to self and being raised in Christ. You can't do it from home. So those watching online, if you've submitted to Christ and you need to be baptized, you're going to have to come into the house. You can't do it from your pew. You can't raise your hand and I baptize you back here. It don't work that way. You have to step out and publicly profess that Christ is your Savior. And it really is that simple. Once you do that, I bury you in the water and bring you back up. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This morning, I want to ask everybody one thing. Before we move to that. What will Jesus say to you when you stand before him? What will Jesus say to you when you stand before him? Have you loved him? Okay, well, how, how do I know that you've loved him? Because you've wanted to be in his presence. Because you've wanted to be in his house. Because you've wanted to consume his word. Because you followed his footsteps. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a matter of heart of following after Jesus Christ. So before we do anything else, what's Jesus going to say to you when you stand in front of him? You will stand. You will stand. What's he going to say to you? If one of y'all can come play just for a second, I want to take just a moment. I'll tell you that you can, just as when Jesus came to that Jordan River and John looked out, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. 
John declared that because he knew that that would change the trajectory of everybody he encountered. That is still true today. If you will encounter Jesus, he will change the trajectory of your life. I'm not telling you everything will be roses and sunshine. I'm not telling you that because you run up $100,000 in debt that he's going to wipe it away. No. I'm telling you that you will no longer have the torment in your soul of wondering what's going to happen when you die. But at the end of days, you can rest assured that you will hear, enter in into the joys of your Lord. So this morning, if you're not saved, if you've backslid, it doesn't really matter which. If your standing with Jesus Christ is not well, you need to come make it well. Matter of fact, as soon as you get it from making it well, I can take you back into that baptistry and you can publicly proclaim it. And you can walk a new path walking out of that door different from what you were walking when you come in. So first and foremost this morning, if you are not in good standing with Christ, you need to come and make it right. Not with me, not with your neighbor, not with mommy and daddy, but with Jesus. Now secondly, before we move to the baptism, also, if there's anybody that needs prayer for anything, I would encourage you to come. You're more than welcome to pray by yourself, or you can also grab me and some of these elders. And we will anoint with oil and lay hands on you and pray for your complete and total recovery. So this morning she plays for just a moment. The altars are open.